Well, church, we've come to the end of the sermon series we've been working through these last few weeks. The sermon series called Flipping Tables. Each week for the last four weeks, we've, we've heard the story, the same story told four different ways. The story of a moment when Jesus walks into the temple in Jerusalem and flips over the tables of the money changers. We've been learning from, from this story how Jesus protested and why Jesus protested in order that we might, we might be good and godly protesters in this season of, of disruption that we're living in today. In all of the other gospel stories that we've heard, in Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel, the story of Jesus flipping the tables in the temple comes at the, the very end of the ministry of Jesus. In all of those Gospels, it's, it's the thing that causes people to want to, to bring an end, not just to the ministry of Jesus, but the life of Jesus. In all of those other Gospels, Jesus flips the tables and then immediately his enemies move against him to arrest him and to, to nail him to the cross. But today we're going to hear this story in a little bit different way. Today we're going to hear the story as it's told in, in John's Gospel. And when we read John's gospel, we discover that the gospel writer has done something really interesting with this story. Instead of telling this story at the end of the ministry of Jesus, the, the writer of the gospel of John has taken this story and placed it at the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus walking into the temple and flipping over the tables is, is almost the first thing that Jesus does as he begins his ministry. And why does John take this story from the end of the ministry of Jesus and put it at the beginning? Maybe, maybe John is trying to tell us that protesting is not the end of what God has called us to do. Protesting is only the beginning of the work, the work to build a more just, a more peaceful, a more hopeful world that God has called us to do. Now this morning, I've invited a guest preacher to explore this story and John's gospel with us. This morning, I've invited our friend Valerie Boyer, whose voice we heard in worship last Sunday. Now, Valerie is uh, many things, as I said last Sunday. Valerie is a teacher. She's a member of the, the Hope United Methodist Church in Southfield, down by Detroit. She's a seminary student who is answering God's call to ministry. She is a, a poet, and this morning she is our guest preacher. This morning, Valerie is going to reflect not just on this moment of protest, but on, on the things that Jesus did after, after his moment of protest. She's going to tell us how Jesus, after this moment of protest, meets a, a keeper of the law who is trying to figure out who Jesus is and what, what his mission here on earth is. And she's going to tell us how Jesus meets with a, a woman, a Samaritan woman, who is despised by the keepers of the law. And Jesus, Jesus empowers her and sees something in her that no one else does. And she's going to tell us about, about how Jesus eventually gets on the wrong side of the keepers of the law as he breaks the laws that they have created and the ways in which they read God's word. I invite you now to, to hear this story, the story as we find it in John's gospel. Our friend McGregor is going to read the story for us. And then Valerie, Valerie Boyer is going to spend a little time helping us to understand it and sharing God's love with us through it. Today's reading is from John chapter 2 verses 13 to 16. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables, told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. The Word of God for the people of God. 
Good morning, Court Street United Methodist family. I am so grateful um, to be with you virtually <laughs> this Sunday morning. I um, I originally, of course, of course, planned to do this like in some office or sanctuary with a cross behind me, with my hair up in a bun and pearls and some nice fanciful dress because my folks raised me right. Um, and yet, for this um, sermonic moment. Uh, I felt pulled and called to the front porch um, of a black home where for a nice amount of my life, the front porch has been the place where I, I learned how to think through things, achieve the impossible, reimagine a, a new heaven and a new earth, um, and dream awake. And so for this sermonic moment, I, I invite you to, to gather in your own front porch of sorts, that place that is sacred and is holy and is sanctuary, where you can think through things and reimagine a new world and achieve the impossible and, and dream awake. Um, I have been following the series that Pastor Jeremy has been doing, and it is the bomb.com backslash amazing. I love uh, this story of Jesus, a Jesus who flips the table. It is my favorite, um, personally. Uh, one, because I think I like exciting stories where people like get to do stuff like flip tables. That's kind of awesome. But two, because in the words of my granny, there's never a wrong time to do the right thing. Um, and Jesus walks into something that isn't okay. Um, and in the most abrupt, culturally shocking way, uh, does what he has to do to make it okay by any means necessary. Because there is never a wrong time to do the right thing. Um, for the sake of my own tradition, I, I'm going to read or reread um, the scripture, John chapter 2, verse 13. And I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. And it reads, the Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out coins of the money changers and overturned tables. He told those who were selling doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. If I just had to give this thing a subject or a title or a theme, which I'm not good at, so don't hold it against me. Um, I would call it finding, finding your way home, finding your way home. In the 70s, Quincy Jones, one of America's most, um, arguably the most uh, famous producers of both music and movies and all things culture and art, um, 
produced, directed, um, and created uh, an updated version of a movie called The Wiz. Based on the same storyline as The Wizard of Oz, see, the reason that The Wiz was able to come to be is because during that time, Black actors, actors and actresses of colors were not welcome to participate in mainstream musicals and movies unless they were playing subservient parts representing some form of service by which they were always in the inferior position. Is this one of those moments where Quincy Jones and Diana Ross and Michael Jackson and all of these people gathered together and decide to do something about it? Um, and so they they did the whiz. But the premise and the storyline, um, even though it is culturally an entirely different movie, the storyline happens to be the same. Um, it is a story of someone who does not know their place in the world, who is fearful of walking into the unknown um, and is taking on a journey where they assume that the mission is solely to find their way home. But along this journey, this character, Dorothy, um, picks up some friends. That is the storyline and that is, that is actually where we find ourselves today. Um, it's where we find ourselves in this scripture in john's gospel our introduction to jesus is is messianic jesus is a messiah who is coming the lamb of god who is slain and john's gospel does not begin with the early onsets of jesus's life no john's gospel begins with a jesus who turns water into wine that's how jesus's story starts and then the next thing you know bam Jesus is flipping tables, right? John's gospel begins with the Jesus who protests the injustices. John's gospel begins with the Jesus who has to do the abrupt work first, the necessary work that needs to be done. The shock that needs to happen to the system is how Jesus is introduced in this gospel. And then after that, we get to see a Jesus who does the work after doing the work. Now that Jesus has been abrupt and Jesus has blown up and Jesus has, has condemned the people who took the sanctuary, took the, what's supposed to be a sacred and safe space and turned it into a capitalistic discriminatory environment by which you can only be a part of if you can afford to engage in the corruption that Jesus now begins this this journey and I think that this Jesus can teach us um, in the same way that the Wiz can teach us what what do we do after the protest have died down after the abrupt shock to the system has happened after the awakening after snoozing an almost 500 year alarm has happened <laughs> after after we have now been made aware of the things what do we what do we do what do we do well i think the first thing that we have to do and we will consistently have to do um is do what the song says in the Wiz. We are required to ease on down the road.
we are required to not stay where we are. What good is having information if you have no plan to use it? Um, what good is it to have access to the resources if you are not going to share them and pick up others on the journey with you? See, Jesus takes the time to um, clean the temple. But after that, in John's gospel, um, Jesus gets a visit from Nicodemus. Um, Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee. Uh, Nicodemus, who is obedient and loyal to the system. Nicodemus, who has seen the, the problems and the injustices that plague the people, um, but has attained a level of stature that does not put him in a position to want to compromise his location. Nicodemus, who has some authority. Nicodemus visits Jesus. And Jesus could have very well sent Nicodemus on his way. Jesus could have left that Nicodemus um, where he was, but he doesn't. He he gives him the truth. He, he tells him what it is to be born again. Jesus invites Nicodemus to to undo his prejudices and undo his part in this system, to unlearn and relearn what it is to be a follower of the living God. And Nicodemus is left to make a decision about what Nicodemus is going to do with this invitation. And so if we're going to be like Jesus, while we ease on down the road, we cannot forget to pick up others up on the journey with us, to invite other people to engage in the active anti-racist work, anti-prejudice work, anti-homophobic work that we are learning to do ourselves. That's the first thing. The second thing, I think as we ease on down the road, um, if we're going to be like Jesus, that we have to do is to not forget the women. In today's media post, I, I ran the stats against USA Today, CNN, New York Times, um, shout out to the Googles, right, who give us access to technology to be able to do these things. And in those three um, predominant media uh, disputers of information alone, George Floyd's name has been mentioned and pushed to the forefront um, 32 times as much as Breonna Taylor. Because... We have all been baptized in some level of patriarchy alongside supremacy, alongside classism, alongside misogynoir. And so Jesus gives us an example um, of making sure that we don't forget the women. And I'm not just talking about women who fit into an image of what has been deemed as societally perfect. I'm talking about the women, the, the least of these, the forgotten ones who constantly remain and stay doing the work. See, in John's gospel, the very next story after Nicodemus is when Jesus is dealing with a woman of Samaria. 
and she is at this well getting this physical drink of water and Jesus offers her the living water offers her a drink that she will never thirst again and then she is commissioned to go and tell others the experience that she has she is arguably the first commissioned woman that is given a preaching assignment by Jesus and it is insane to me yet very honest and prevalent to know that in our quest for knowledge and for better and for creating a new heaven and for creating a new earth and trying to use our brains and use our heart and find some courage and get home for whatever reason we both silence and forget about the women don't forget the women don't forget don't forget the sisters don't forget the ones who have been out here doing the work actively doing the work on behalf of all the people all the time see if i had the time i would give you the rundown of how in biblical history women have been known for making sure that the work could get done by any means necessary and historically speaking you would not have stories of revolution and you would not have stories of overturning and you would not have stories of suffrage and you would not have stories of expansions in curriculum and you would not have stories of anyone becoming who they were whether you consider them great or not without the women jesus reminds us that as we ease on down the road we cannot forget the the women and lastly we have to remember and accept that healing usually comes in inconvenient ways we expect healing to often look like this flowery glorious process um when more often than not healing is nothing but holding up a mirror to self and looking and seeing what's on the inside healing more often than not exposes our wounds and our scars um in ways that we we don't really want to deal with or in timing that we don't really want to deal with um I would argue that if America's greatest sin, if America's greatest sin is racism, I would argue that America's second greatest sin is the sin of gradualism. The sin of, of saying that healing can only happen for one group of people at a time, for one demographic at a time. See, the next thing that we see in the life of Jesus after he commissions this woman um, the Sumerian woman to carry the good news of living water is a Jesus who heals someone on the Sabbath. And if you know anything about the rhetoric of Jewish and Aramaic culture, it was forbidden to heal on the Sabbath. Now, whether or not God said that or a bunch of men got together and blamed that on God and, and said that God said that is another conversation for another day. But societally speaking it was not a thing that happens healing on the sabbath in this unorthodox way was inconvenient it was not okay and yet this is a healing that is necessary 
as Jesus prepares for Calvary. Jesus gives us this example of healing that, that might not always look good or feel good, um, but it's, it's always for our good. And the Wiz, they have these trials along the way. And when they get to Oz, they see that it's a, it's a beautiful place where they all walk the same. And that walk is amazing. You should watch it. And they dance the same. And they sing good. And, and they sound good. And their heads are up. And, and their shoulders are stretched. And, and then they get to the Wiz. And what they discover is that the Wiz cannot give them what it is that they needed that they already had what they needed on the inside. Healing was something that they had to find on the inside. And I would argue that they got their healing on, on the Sabbath day. On the, on the day that they were in the spirit, on the Lord's day, the day that they recognized what was on the inside, both good, bad, ugly, and indifferent, and decided to do something about it as they traveled together. That's, that's where their healing came from. And ultimately, once Dorothy had learned these things about herself, then and only then could she go home. Let us do the active work of picking people up on our journey as we ease on down the road, not forgetting the women, being okay with healing in inconvenient ways, and maybe then we might find our ways home. The name of the father and mother, the son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>